Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb. Now it is just two weeks to go until hospitality in the UK is due to reopen its doors after more than three months in hibernation. Rents are almost due again, job retention contributions start in about 40 days and it feels like we are on the crest of a wave. A potential tsunami is about to be unleashed of business closures, layoffs and redundancies. I am not sure if the government fully appreciate the predicament. I used to think they did, but in the past week or so, I have to say I've lost a little faith. I know it must be incredibly hard to manage so many complicated issues happening simultaneously. But right now, I can't help but feel that hospitality is not getting the support and the recognition that we hoped for, and fundamentally, that we as a sector deserve. We've overpaid in business rates, VAT and excise duty for years. UK hospitality has been fighting the overtaxation in our industry well before Covid. And now we need support, and a lot less support than when the banks were bailed. We hoped for some legislation around rents, not a woolly code of conduct. We hoped for an industry-specific job retention scheme for us and a few other sectors such as travel, who clearly are far from out of the woods. We are still hoping for a VAT break, but hope alone is not enough. Germany has cut VAT on hospitality from 19% to 5% until the end of June 2021. France, Italy and Spain already charge VAT at 10% on hotel rooms compared to 20% in the UK. Time is running out. The tsunami could be a wave, but on the current trajectory, I am the most nervous I have been. And yet hospitality is the reason to live on planet Earth. Time with friends, with family, with loved ones, graduations, birthdays, meetings. So much happens in our social spaces that are the fabric of society. And on the current trajectory, so many of these spaces are going to disappear for quite some time. And of course, I'm optimistic that we'll bounce back in time. But some of this pain just feels unnecessary. At the very least, let's get the bloody date that we can reopen sorted. And I think that most people now are just getting on with it. We're going for the 4th of July. It's too late to wait for 100% authority. Let's just get the rotors done, get the suppliers lined up and go for it. Boris, if you are listening, I'm happy to chat all of this through. Anyway, rant over, on to today's guest, and fortunately he is a super positive human with a very infectious energy. I've spoken to Griff Holland from Frisker before, and I love his love of food and drink and human beings. And this time we touch on how trade has been in the last six months before lockdown, and how he'd been navigating Brexit indecision, multiple elections, and a very stormy winter. We look at the roller coaster of shutdown itself and how Griff pretty much nailed his plans in just one emergency COVID meeting rather than one every day. And then in his ever positive manner, we switch to his pivots to deliver and frisker at home. Why he's not a huge fan of Deliveroo and whether his sweet spot will still be busy lunches near glass fronted office blocks or if he's having to rethink his strategy. I'm sure you'll get a nugget or two and enjoy the conversation. And before I head over to Griff, please do me a favour and head over to humansofhospitality.co.uk and pop your details into our sign-up form for a weekly email from me. No spam, no stupid stuff, just a new episode currently twice per week and a whole heap of love from me because it means I know you are listening. Thanks. Griff Holland from Frisker, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Uh, can I just ask where you are in the world, Griff? Are you are you at home? Are you in Bristol? Or? Hi, Mark. Good to hear from you. Yeah, I am sat in uh, my old bedroom. We've recently had a third child, so I've decamped to the guest room. So I'm sat in my old bedroom um, in Bristol at the moment. My goodness, I'd forgotten you were having another baby. I think it was due. So I, I think we sat down probably about six or so months ago. So yeah, how old's the youngest? Yeah, well, six months, actually. Um, I think, I, yeah, that rings a bell. <laughs> due when we sat down. That's Congratulations. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's entered the world at a reasonably interesting time. Um, although I'm sure, well, hopefully she won't remember any of it. Um, yeah. We'll see how long the effects of um, what's going on last. But yeah, she's six months old and... Uh, 
yeah, less of a challenge than number one, I would say. You kind of just go with the flow and uh, yeah, it's all good. I was going to say is yeah is having three three times as difficult, but I presume they they only add a sort of a, a relatively small percentage of chaos each time you add one, presumably. Yeah, and I just think you're that much more grounded and uh, you've got less expectations. <laughs> what you get out of the day, or you know, the fact that you won't be going out uh, with your partner on a date for God knows how long. So uh, yeah, it definitely gets easier. Either expectations go down, or you get better at being a parent. But one of the two for the, for the experience yeah. easier. <laughs> I was going to say the. I think the expectations that they go down in regard to yourself, not of your children. Don't you? It's uh, yeah. You just lose all hope in in your ability. Well, look. Thank you so much for spending the time in what is a challenging time anyway, having young kids, but also uh, I'm sure as we're about to hear with the, with the business. So um, for those who've not listened, episode 47, uh, you and I had a really good chat about your inspiration and about your travels, about your obsession of exactly the right amount of avocado in a wrap and why you set the business up so so anybody can go back and, and type in uh, either your name griff or 47 into the uh, the hospitality humans of hospitality website and go back and listen to our chat so i'm not going to go uh, back in time but f- for those who don't know you um can you just explain a little bit about what frisker is and where you're based and what you do please yeah absolutely um i'll, I'll keep it brief because i know we're going to be talking about um other things today so frisker is basically fresh fast food speciality coffee um it's a feel-good cafe um at the moment we've got uh, eight stores in bristol and three in manchester uh and up until about two and a half three months ago we used to predominantly cater for um business people so our our outlets our places were in central business districts um in bristol and manchester uh, suffice to say we have no open cafes at the moment yeah Okay, so so last time we spoke, we did touch on the sort of challenging environment of our sector. We, you know, tight margins, uh, a bit of oversupply. I think since then we saw some fairly high-profile, high uh, you know, Caluccios and Jamies and a few others go under. Mm. Um, how have the last six months pre-pandemic? How how were things looking for this year? Were you still uh, sort of rolling out, opening up new venues, or, or and how was the business generally performing before this little shocker? Yeah, um, I would say before. Uh everything changed um trading conditions were reasonably challenging i mean looking back retrospectively now i'd take those any day um yeah but if we rewind four months ago um it was tough you know it was tough our like for likes um were sort of flattish um people i was talking to in the sector were saying that trading conditions were tough um and i don't know if you remember there was this sort of small thing going on called brexit um rings a distant bell yeah yeah um i mean at the moment i probably vote for bloody brexit rather than what we're dealing with at the moment yeah (laughs) would you a like a global pandemic or b like brexit so um yeah I, i i think sort of most businesses were sort of dealing with the sort of uncertainty around brexit we were kind of thinking about what you know what's going to happen how's the terms of trade going to look like um even you know who's going to win the general election so all of that stuff uh, meant that I think consumer sentiment and, and indeed business sentiment felt a, a, a little ruffled. Um, so that's kind of how we ended the year and started this year. Um, then the heavens opened, the floods came. Uh, fortunately, yeah. for, 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 for the cities we uh, operate in and serve, um, we weren't affected by those floods. Um, and then everything started to calm down and then... Yeah, people start getting ill in China and um, spread. <laughs> had, you, had you opened any new venues in the last six months? Or? Uh, in another in another universe, we're probably getting ready to open another one in about a couple of weeks' time. Actually, um, yeah, but okay. yeah, we were we were planning on opening another one up in Manchester, um, and we were having conversations with a a large employer about uh, effectively putting in a Frisker as their uh, on-site canteen. Um, now, both of those um, opportunities are, quote unquote, live, um, but they're kind of TBC as to when they'll actually opened. Um, I mean, you know, the landscape has completely changed. Lots of things have been delayed, although I saw today in the papers that Luke Johnson's planning on opening a Gales bakery in Windsor. Um, I mean, he's been particularly bullish with his sort of uh, feelings about how the government's dealt with Corona and saying we should all reopen and 
crack on. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would I would say looking out in the streets, footfall is down. Looking at the footfall stats around our stores, we're trading, not trading, we're not trading at all. But there's about 20% of the previous footfall going past our stores. Um, yeah, things like this are happening more and more. I'm just praying to the business gods that uh, Zoom and Google Hangouts and God knows what doesn't take over and become the new normal. Um, both from a Frisker point of view, but actually I, I think we're really missing something about human connection, you know, um, brainstorming, coming up with ideas, uh, feeling energized by, by the work that we do. And I wouldn't say it's just in hospitality. I think pretty much in, in most businesses, you know, that, that idea of coming together to work on a challenge and solve a problem is, is infinitely more satisfying and, uh, probably more creative, more creative in many ways, if you're able to actually see each other and talk to each other and draw things on whiteboards and yeah just work like that i mean i remember steve jobs uh designed the toilets at the apple hq is either apple or pixar to be in the in the middle of the building so that he would encourage these sort of creative uh collisions i think he called them um and it's pretty hard to have a creative collision on zoom um so yeah we'll see what the future looks like but uh yeah, as always, Mark, I've gone off on one and I'm probably answering a question you haven't even asked. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thought about bringing you back, Griff, but but however I share, I, I spent one week uh, when we were we were buried in our Seabills application with my mm-hmm. finance director and financial controller and we had this ridiculously, um, you know, almost humorous spreadsheet that had every possible scenario that we could think of, uh, mm. sort of how to do financial forecasting. And we had don't open at all for a year, just open at weekends, open one venue and not the others. And we had all these things going on. And we must have spent 20 hours over the course of a few days, you know, on on Zoom, sharing a screen, going through this spreadsheet. And that was the week that broke me from from ever wanting to, to get on Zoom again and run remotely. And it made me realize how much I want to sit down at a big table with a big bit of paper and some crayons and some some espresso or maybe a nice pale ale and thrash stuff out face to face and yeah i for one are not supporting this idea that we'll never go back to offices again albeit i don't mind if we all go back and work remotely in local cafes bars and restaurants that's okay <laughs> but definitely not gonna gonna sit at home apart from this griff this is a pleasure obviously indeed, and, uh, indeed. And i can't see your face it is only audio maybe that's helping <laughs> <laughs> so um Coming back on onto topic, I just want to go through. Uh, you know, I've spoken to various people, I suppose, about when they realised the, um, you know, the impact that this pandemic was going to have. And as you just alluded to, you know, people got sick in China, and we we watched this play out in slow motion from Wuhan. And I think we all went, "Oh my god, imagine closing a city! That's incredible!" And and then Italy closed the country, and we went, "Holy shit!" Um, I'm just wondering in Bristol because London seemed to move a little bit quicker than than the rest of the country when mm. I've spoken to people. What's your memory? of sort of seeing this uh, roll out and when you realized it was going to have a big impact and um, and when did you close? Um, Not dates, but just in general kind of, you know. Yes, yes. So I, I certainly remember the the speed of events escalating being quite something. So, I, I mean, I'm not particularly good with exact dates, forgive me, but the general no, gist worry. was that, as, as I said, we... We heard something was going on out in China, and it was uh, quite a big deal. But I think it had already started out in China, and we post that had a had a board meeting, and it it wasn't mentioned. It didn't come up. Um, and then, as you say, it sort of uh, Italy was particularly hard hit, um, and we sort of started to think, "Crikey, I I, I wonder if." Um, but you know, the government wasn't reacting. Uh, it wasn't panic stations, at least, in, from a government perspective or from a comms perspective, telling us what we should or shouldn't do. So we sort of, I wouldn't say carried on regardless. We were aware that something was was going on, but we continued to trade. Uh, and I remember the, it must have been the week before of of shutting down. I think on the on the Tuesday morning, one of my colleagues said, "Ah, oh, someone that I, someone that I know, they work at another cafe." And they're having daily uh, coronavirus meetings. 
And we sort of looked at each other and thought, crikey, that seems a bit over the top. Um, well, maybe we should have one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we did just that. We, we, we had that, that meeting. Um, and, and within sort of five, six days, um, our stores were shut. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it all moved very quickly. I, I do question the sort of value of, of having, uh, you know, endless planning meetings way, way in advance because the speed at which everything sort of unraveled and the speed at which you were having to make decisions uh, I don't know how much value would have been in in having all of this planning sessions because things were changing so fast. I mean, I don't know about you, Mark, but you were having to make like major, major calls uh, and changing those calls seemingly on a daily or, you know, twice a day basis. And within a week, you had gone from open to closed, um, yeah. you know, things that you probably wouldn't have 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 run forecasts or um uh, planning scenarios on you know two weeks before so yeah I mean everything changed very quickly um, I think we were one of the first to put a message out on um, Instagram or Twitter sort of talking about the steps we were going to be taking as a business so we we, we stopped keep cups we stopped um, cash payments um, we introduced takeaway like you know takeaway uh enabled services we moved all cups and sugars and glasses outside of customer areas and we moved pretty quickly with all of that kind of stuff um and then you know sure enough oh forgive me um sorry that was my phone let me that's all right silly thing off no problem put them on to, are they happy to be on the air is that yeah, okay yeah that's fine. That's yeah. fine. Um, Is it your doctor? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so yeah, um, that, that was quite an impressive amount of stuff you sorted out in one meeting, Griff. Yeah. You, 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 that, you, you nailed that, Corona. It's why you didn't have some need to have so many because you work so efficiently. Yeah, so, but you're I mean, right. It, the, it was hectic. Yeah, it was it was it was a hectic time for everyone. It you you were having to make very quick decisions based on imperfect information. And really, just um, do things that 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 you that that you felt were the right thing to do, both from a customer point of view, from a colleague point of view, and I guess ultimately from a business point of view as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, the, the speed of decision making was insane, and I've definitely learned something from that because you know we were. We were making decisions in the morning with regards to opening hours. You know, we were reducing them. We were going onto the website and updating our customers with with what we were doing. And uh, I can't even remember all of the details now. But all, all I remember is that you know, every, every time there was a news conference, then at sort of five in the afternoon, you'd pretty much have to phone all of your team and arrange another emergency meeting the following morning and undo everything that you've you've done and sort of carry on on that trajectory. And just before this. I was on the phone to my financial controller and we were chatting about the sort of furlough scheme and what might happen with Rishi saying about it going to mm. 25% and who were we going to be able to bring back and who were we going to need to make redundant? And I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm allocating so little headspace to this at the moment on the basis that, you know, the information is again going to continue to change really quickly and we just need to get much more focused on the next sort of two or three days than I think the next six months so uh yeah i i i hope i hope that's the right decision uh, we'll see as time goes on um before there was there was this period and it always interests me i suppose because it was a real emotional roller coaster sort of three or four days there was the period between boris saying don't go to restaurants you, you had the shutdown later on in the week and then you had sort of rishi's announcement so i think we all knew it was going to be catastrophic but we didn't know what we were going to do with our teams mm. and then rishi came out and said i will pay them for you uh 80 do you remember a i suppose what were your thoughts your sort of business planning and strategy looking forward in that in that gap you know were you confident that something was going to come had you mapped out with the business how long you could afford to stay afloat and pay people and then how did it feel when rishi came out and said um i've got this for you griff yeah, I mean, he he and the government totally saved the day with the furlough scheme um, in terms of keeping keeping colleagues on payroll and continuing to pay them. Um, we had sort of looked at the numbers and we were we were having to make lay people off, um, which doesn't mean um, redundancy. Doesn't mean you fired them. It just means that uh, there is no work for them. Um, so we started to make those calls. Um, 
basically when we saw sales go from normal to 80 to 50 to 30 percent and we were just thinking crikey this you know this is getting pretty real and at the moment the only way seems to be down so we need to um, take some very difficult decisions um, and we started to uh, lay people off uh, and those were some very very tough decisions and difficult conversations to have I'm proud to say we had them all face to face we're still a reasonably small company so we were able to go across to all the stores and and have meetings with uh, all the members of staff that were in the building and explain the situation uh, and and really cut the size of the team down Uh, and then of course the Chancellor announced the furlough scheme which was just a hallelujah moment uh, and you know I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for that, as as I'm sure my colleagues are. Um, I think what it also did, though, is it made um, decision making around uh, keeping trading that much harder, because there was a point in between complete lockdown and um, when things started to turn nasty, where we were just basically thinking, how can we run? a break-even business, let's forget about making a penny, how can we run a break-even business, uh, effectively selling our food as cheaply as we possibly can uh, through home delivery uh, model? Um, so not Deliveroo, but more akin to meal kits that we would deliver to, to people. Um, and we sort of modelled that all out. We turned around a Shopify website within two days, and it was, it was incredible, actually, what we were able to achieve in two days. Um, to figure out how we can just save as many jobs as we possibly can. And then, as you say, the furlough came in and it just gave everyone a little bit of room to breathe. Um, but sort of slightly perversely, I guess it, it it gave less incentive for people to work through the pandemic and to, to, to uh, be entrepreneurial in their approaches. Um, because suddenly you were risking wages, you were w- risking the furlough payments. And so we decided just to pause for um, three weeks to really assess the situation um, and to figure out what the next three to six months might look like. Um, and then towards the end of the first month, we we, we decided to go ahead and, and open a, a, a home delivery business, which we're currently running on a very small team. But we've decided to take a risk and to do something which we feel is still relevant to our customers and offers a a much needed service and um, lovely food, ultimately. Yeah, no, that's really interesting, actually. And and you're absolutely right. I don't think it's in our nature as sort of entrepreneurial individuals to just think, oh, great, you know, the government is giving us some money, we can sit back and relax. and, And we automatically try and come up with ways to, you know, like you say, to break even, to keep the team employed and to trade. And, and I struggled with that as well. And then I guess that was the point. I guess the point of that money was to stop everybody going out. And, and I guess at that point, we didn't know how quickly the infection rate was going to drop. You know, we didn't know if the NHS was going to go under. We didn't know if we were going to need all those Nightingale kind of hospitals that were being built. And I suppose, yeah, it was an incredibly effective measure, yeah, not only to, to keep people's heads above water financially, but actually to go, you know what, it is okay just to stop and just to pause. Um, I guess the challenge with that now is, mm. is as you try and trade out of it, is that, yeah, you, you know, your, your team are, are mildly incentivized, I suppose, to stay at home. And you as a business, you know, anything you want to try, it feels like the furlough scheme. And, and hopefully that's what Rishi's going to come out with this week. I know he's going to talk about us making a contribution. But if you were like me, you, I'm guessing you'd like to bring people back maybe for a couple of days a week to try some things like like what you're doing rather than this sort of completely on or completely off scenario of furlough. Is Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I mean, we've taken the the, the plunge, albeit jump into the shallow end, um, with three of us. So, you know, that we were all on the bench. Um, and then we decided that Frisker at Home was a worthwhile pursuit. It was something that we thought would resonate with our customers and, and people would like to have. So I, I came off the bench, um, Sophie came off the bench, and uh, Charlie did. And so we've kind of got effectively like a new business going with three people um so it's like like starting again mark 
starting mm. a new business again. Um, but as 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 you know, time passes, we will need to to, to look at the viability of opening new stores um, and having some flexibility around part time working with team members will will be crucial, I think, for making those very difficult decisions about when's the right time to reopen. Yeah. So um, what is Frisker at home then? Just talk me through that. What What is it and how's it going? Um, what is it? What is it? It's basically our, our fresh uh, worldly foods delivered to your home, but rather than delivered uh, on the back of a bike, possibly arriving a little bit lukewarm and <laughs> smashed about in a box. Um, we prepare the meals um, in our kitchen. Um, we then vac pack them all up, um, chill them down, and we deliver a meal kit for you to warm up, heat up at home and, and enjoy. So in a way, people talk about suddenly having all this time off and everyone's enjoying the sun and uh, you know reading books and reconnecting with their families. But actually, if you are working from home, or if you're trying to homeschool, there aren't <laughs> all these hours in the day to suddenly, you know, become a, a culinary wizard uh, and 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 read endless endless books. <laughs> so so time is still actually quite precious, uh, and it's been a godsend personally having these meal kits arrive at our house um, because it means that you can serve really fresh, tasty food literally in a matter of minutes. Uh, and it's significantly cheaper, I'd say, than ordering through Deliveroo. Um, I mean, we've, we, we've aimed at the price point at between sort of four quid up to £6.50 a head um, for a main meal. Um, so it, it, it feels really affordable and it's a way to, to keep the brand um, alive, keep it relevant at this time, you know, when cafes aren't open. Um, and yeah deliver lovely food mm. to our customers and are you are you delivering those yourself or are you using the Deliveroo network or how does it work no I mean we went on Deliveroo for all of one day Mark and we <laughs> and we quickly realized because they were so busy you thought you'd try another system yeah go on. <laughs> we, we quickly realized that we were no longer working for ourselves we were working for Deliveroo because 33%. the commission that they charge is more than the net profit we would hope to make from a store. Yeah. And so we felt it was a completely, you know, it was a fool's errand to be uh, putting our dishes on Deliveroo. Um, and actually, we would rather be in charge of the whole process ourselves. So it's, it, does, it means it's localised deliveries. We're delivering three times a week, um, but we've bundled up the meal kits in twos or fours to allow people to basically meal plan for, for the whole week if they want to. Um, we've got a, a reasonably broad menu as well, so it's not like you have to have the same thing every day. And we're, we're already working on extensions to the menu. Um, but we decided to deliver ourselves, namely me, um, doing the deliveries, <laughs> um, because 30% is a lot to pay someone else to deliver your food uh, in a mediocre way, we felt. Um, and we'd rather keep all of the money and reinvest it into bringing more people off the furlough and to grow uh, the business in a in a in a reasonably uh, sustainable way. Yeah, interesting. Okay, it is hard though to do delivery yourself as well. It's quite a time-consuming process. I'm not sure how anybody wins uh, in that scenario. I guess you know the industry as a whole has been told you know do do, do delivery, do delivery, um, and and I've had to try and explain to people that when I've got 150 people sat in one of my restaurants all ordering you know, at the bar and, and, and the kitchen's pumping, that's very different to driving 25 minutes across town with your sandwich and dropping it off at you. Um, but I'm doing, Mark. Oh, no, I, I get it. That's what I was going to say. I guess you're, you're delivering meals. How long do these meals last in the fridge? How many days do they last? Um, between three and five days. Okay, great. So you can do it. And then there's a minimum order level. Yeah, or something, 20 I quid minimum order level. But but we wouldn't be doing it if I was delivering you one burrito. Um, so I'd deliver you a burrito kit um, we've also got wine on the menu. We've got uh, speciality coffee. You can order Thai curries. You can order veg boxes, fruit boxes. So there's a reasonably large sort of menu, as it were, for you to build your basket up, um, which makes the deliveries, um, frankly, worthwhile doing. Um, but, but we wouldn't be doing it to, to, to deliver one uh, burrito to one customer. 
especially not to me in Bournemouth. That's a long way on your push bike. Really. <laughs> no, I think one of our customers actually uh, thought it was going to be delivering uh, two burritos ready to go hot to them, and they were they looked pretty puzzled when I handed them a kit. Um, yeah, <laughs> and a Bunsen burner. <laughs> good luck. Apparently, it took them like half an hour to make to make two burritos, and like I've done it like seven <laughs> minutes. I don't know what the hell they were doing, but they said they had a great laugh and they thoroughly enjoyed it, and they'll be ordering again. So I think uh, yeah, okay. the kits are working. That's good. And and do you see this as being a sort of a, an additionally viable part of the business that you'll keep going if you when and if you're allowed to reopen? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, we. we it's been on the to-do list probably for about eight years. <laughs> right. And it took a global pandemic for us to actually finally launch um, uh, dinner kits. Um, yeah, we've often t- said that our stores happen to be open at lunchtime and close in the evening. But that's really just because of, of where they're located. So we're located in business districts and everyone goes home in the evening. So why would we stay open? Um, but we've always said that our our food uh that we serve from the kitchen really does lend itself to dinners uh and 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 any sort of meal occasion uh and and wouldn't it be good if we could have effectively like a dinner chiller in our stores um so yeah the covid-19 pushed us to to get to, to get our dinner chillers going and um and deliver them in a van Amazing. I take it then that this period of, of lockdown has not been uh, Griff sort of just chilling out and taking some rest. Have you been pretty frantic all the way through? Uh, I'd say we were really frantic leading up to the lockdown. And, and, and like we sort of reflected earlier on, you know, we were making daily decisions, make big, big decisions every day and, and changes every day. Then the lockdown came. The furlough came, and I think you know we were given time to breathe, and uh, and everything kind of chilled out for a week or so, um, and then I sort of started to get a bit itchy. To be honest, I was thinking, ah, oh, this doesn't feel right. Just sitting, waiting. Um, what could I? What could I? What could we be doing to to to, to keep Frisker alive? To keep it relevant? Um, and so, yeah, I read a few few business books which I haven't had the time to do in a long time um try to do some homeschooling which um I frankly failed at with Alice Alice tells me yeah ironically I come from a family of teachers but un- unfortunately I I haven't inherited the teaching genes um so thankfully Alice has has, has done uh, a reasonable amount of homeschooling uh and then yeah we just sort of kept on you know we'd we'd be in touch as a as a as a management team and keep on saying what about that frisker at home what about that frisker at home and then eventually we just thought let's just give it a go let's see what happens uh and that's exactly what we've done and we've been running it for the last month amazing okay good well that's good to hear I'll, i need to check out the website and good luck with it i think we're all yeah, doing some stuff. We launched a drive-through uh, restaurant at, at our hotel where you can pull into a bay at an allocated time, and your dinner gets popped in your boot, hot, and then you take it home with you. So again, oh, wow. avoiding any uh, mis- mishaps on the back of a push bike, and that's been interesting. And uh, we have got a uh, frozen range, actually, so similar, but yeah, dine at home range coming out very shortly, mm. um, just on a local level as well, where you can just yeah pop it, pop it in the oven at home. We went. So I was asking how long the food lasts. We ended up going frozen instead of fresh because we just couldn't get our heads around how to keep the food uh, fresh for long enough. But I guess the the vat pack idea as well but anyway that pack helps for sure um but i can definitely see the benefits of going down the frozen line it's just our menu doesn't really lend it there'll be elements in our menu that would work from a frozen perspective but sort of the side salads the coleslaws um you know the cobes wraps that they they, they're not going to work so well on the frozen side um but just going back to your original question mark do i see it being part of frisker going forward definitely it was something we've been planning on doing for ages um this has given us a kick kick up the bum to to, to get it launched um and we we really think that it's you know resonating well with our customers so when things start to crank again and hopefully eventually get back to to normal uh there's there's, there's every reason to keep it going amazing um any other thoughts on, on what more the government so if we if we move sort of yeah, slightly to the future, I suppose. What more support do you think the government needs to bring into place uh, to help you and the rest of hospitality out? Anything anything specific you're looking for? 
Uh, firstly, I should say I, I feel that they've done an awful lot already. Um, like, like we've already touched on the furlough scheme, and that has been a tremendous, tremendous lifeline to the incomes of uh, the whole team and you know the whole industry. Um, so, massive, massive thank you for that. Um, I guess as we start to crank again um, slowly, um, a main, a, a big issue will be uh, rents and landlords um and and therefore reverting back to uh pre-covid uh rents will be completely out of kilter with the likely revenue levels that we're we're expecting to see when we start to trade again so i know there's been uh, a big campaign around a national timeout which um i believe is was it 9 months rent free um that they're proposing uh now i know that that you know that that just sort of pushes the pain onto someone else, namely the landlord. Um, but I, I do feel there's going to need to be a rebalancing of um, rate uh, rent to reflect the trading conditions, which, by all accounts, you know, in certain locations were pretty challenging anyway. We're not in London, but I've heard London rates of pr- rent uh, is pretty high, <laughs> so it's going to be relatively even higher when we when we go back and, and and reopen. And so, I'm not entirely sure what the government can do per se in that particular example, but I think that's going to be one of the biggest challenges for all businesses in our sector, which is just about bringing rents in balance with with uh, new trading conditions, and there'll need to be some uh understanding i'd say from the landlords to 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 make the industry viable but not just our industry mark i mean you know it's retail at large to make any shop viable uh with lower revenue rents will have to flex um yeah agreed i've had jd on the podcast actually so jd from um uh, hospitality union yeah. uh, which is the, the sort of group that's been set up representing over three thousand independent operators mm-hmm. uh, and he has a really good explanation of this so I, I it was on the i don't know a couple of podcasts ago if anybody's interested can go back and listen but he, he makes this point that you know let's say for example your rent on a building is 120 grand a year actually the, the chances are that your landlord is paying interest to the bank on that and at five percent you know that would be eighty thousand pounds a year uh, that he's paying so as a result his profit for the year is actually only 40,000 so it's not about sort of saying look we want to pause 120 grand's worth of rent you know we almost want to share the pain on 40 grand's worth of rent and uh, and if what the help we need from the government isn't about paying those rents it's it's creating a framework to say look in the same way they did for domestic mortgages to say can we get a mortgage holiday uh, a, a nine month sort of you know hibernation or pause mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, across the property sector yeah. and it says it all kicks back in, in in on the 1st of january and this isn't because we're greedy and it's not the landlord's faults and it's not our our faults the reality is that if that doesn't happen there is absolutely no way that everybody can go back you know hospitality in particular let's say it's going back in in july at, at a very low level and maybe we get to return to some sort of you know normal level september october but more realistic might be next april you know you, you can't go back and be told on day one of reopening your building that you owe the previous six months rent it's, it's just impossible and it will push you know tens of thousands of businesses over the uh, the financial cliff mm if that happens so that that's kind of his concept and, and what he's working on although time is running out because the next rental quarter is due in sort of four and a half five weeks so so it's getting quite urgent I it think, that how are you finding your landlords from a negotiation perspective uh, i'd say it's been a mixed bag without naming names some have been uh understanding and sensible and uh you know willing i mean no one's happy about the pain that everyone's going through, but willing to to share the pain and and taking a pragmatic, longer term view. Others, frankly, aren't, uh, and and are coming back with seemingly ridiculous proposals um, about you know have have a month on us kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, how generous. Uh, so yeah, I would say it's it's very much a bit a mixed bag um, as 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 most things in life are. Um, but the, the negotiations and the conversations, you know, march ever onward. And uh, look, I understand when 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 landlords put put forward a, a seemingly ridiculous proposal, it's it's really only because they're trying to protect their business as well. Um, so I get it. It's just um, 
COVID-19 has has been uh, a slap around the chops for everyone. And I think it's important that that everyone shares in in the pain and the collective responsibility about getting UK the UK, you know, cranking again and 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 bringing a bit more uh, business to the country once again. But but everyone needs to be part of that. Yeah, agreed. Um, last time we spoke, um, you talked about, you know, where, where's the right place for a friskier. And I remember you saying big glass buildings, lots of people, you know, milling around. Have they got a daily routine that involves food and drink? Do they eat? And, and if so, then, yeah, that's the place for a frisker. Um, I guess this is related, really, to, to, to rents and how you see us coming out of this. You know, is that still relevant? Most of your venues were aimed at the kind of you know office worker nipping out for lunch is that correct yeah very very much that was that was sort of our sweet spot so we would look around we would look up and if you can see big glass buildings with people frantically typing away at uh, computers we'd think that would be a good spot for a frisker um so that was our sort of criteria we put a bit of maths around it but broadly speaking that's that's what we looked for in areas and, and, and sites. Um, what are we going to look for going forward? That's a good question, Mark, and, and one I don't know right now. Um, as, as we touched on before we started the podcast, I'm, I'm hoping that the world doesn't start working from their bedroom or their bathroom or God knows where via Zoom, endless Zoom calls. I don't think they will, um, but, but you know, time will tell as to, to what normal working will look like if people do sort of work from home a lot more then then in a in a crazy way you know there suddenly could be more site opportunities for us looking at residential areas where people um, aren't necessarily looking to go to a quote-unquote proper restaurant uh, or more expensive cafe um, that, that, that they might have down the road from them and are looking for more of an everyday place and so potentially the sort of site options for us might might increase um, if if people do start working from home more. But I mean, I'm crystal ball gazing here, and um, I have no idea, frankly, as to what what that's going to look like. Um, I think that the Perfect. people will be used to listening to this podcast and realizing that, that that both myself and none of my guests have got any idea. To be honest, Griff, so don't worry, you, you're you're not alone. But don't and don't worry because we've been chewing the fat on this for a couple of months with people. So um, so we'll continue that trajectory in the fact that what's your current plan with reopening? Do you have one? I guess there's a lot of talk around, and and, and from memory, not so many places of, of your venues are about e- eating in anyway. Because I guess a lot of people are saying, look, at two meters distancing, um, it's actually not viable to open. Whether you say we can or whether you say we can't mm. um yeah do, do you have any any in option or is it all take out and what's your current thoughts on when you might open um well 80 percent of our trade was takeaway but in all of our friskers we try to create an environment um which was welcoming and and had some you know comfy seats some high stools and and creating a place for people to go to um even though most of them visited and then took away um, I think those the, the challenges of a two metre rule uh, are still very much uh, sort of front and centre, even as a takeaway business, because, um, you know, during lunchtime, the queue would go out the door and round the corner. And so and that's without two metres. That's when people were kind of pretty close. So you extend that to two metres and, you know, it's going to head into the centre of town or alternatively, people aren't going to queue for goodness knows how many uh, hundreds of meters to come and grab a, a burrito so even as a takeaway led business two meter social distancing will have a significant impact on our revenue 100 percent um just as big an impact is good uh, it will be when businesses re- return to work so as you've, you've mentioned april uh, earlier on in this podcast um, you know, we've heard a similar thing. Some of our neighbours are talking about starting to return to work in October-ish time um, with 100% return to work in April. So if that is the case, we've got a long, hard crawl up a mountain um, ahead of us. Um, and we're going to all need to think of ways that we can uh, keep our, our businesses uh, attractive to customers, keep uh, colleagues and customers safe, um, but also serve food and coffee because that's that's what you know certainly Frisker's here to do. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't have any answers. I don't have a crystal ball. 
Um, it's going to be an interesting time ahead. There's going to be a challenging time ahead. Um, at the moment, we've sort of penciled in July as an opening time for our cafes. Um, but it's very much TBC. It needs to be based on footfall um, and, and people going back to their offices. If you were to ask me personally, I would love to open last week because I, you know, I hate having our doors shut. I want to be making coffee for people. I want to be serving food. I need to be doing it in a safe way. But also from a business point of view, we can only do it when, there, when we have enough neighbours uh, that are walking to work and, and having a half an hour lunch break. Uh, and I really don't know when that's going to happen. Have, have you given any thoughts to the sort of the COVID secure element of what opening might look like in regards to uh, screens and masks and, and, and gloves? And have you given any thought for how that works? I know when we spoke, we chatted a lot about your sort of perfect member of the team and it was smiley, happy, you know, eye contact, a bit of banter over the counter. Yeah. Um, you didn't want it to feel transactional. Uh, any thoughts as to whether you can do that in a, in a, in a mask? Well, you know, Mark, I mean, you have to ask our customers, but I've been delivering in a mask. Uh, sometimes even with sunglasses. So people haven't been able to see my smile or the twinkle in my eye. And yet feedback on the customer service from the bloke that delivered the food has been really good. So I think I do find that <laughs> So I think that you can still uh, make someone feel good. You know, you, you can still uh, show that you're pleased to see them without them seeing the, the whites of your teeth. Um, so have I given it much thought? probably as much thought as most other people. You know, we, we've seen what businesses are doing. You know, you, you'll have uh, hand sanitizing stations. Uh, there'll be the, the screens. Uh, we will have uh, face masks. We will observe uh, the two-meter distancing. Um, it's, it, we will probably have a limit on the number of people to come into a cafe. Um, in fact, we, of, of course we will. We definitely will. Um, and I think we'll actually rely and be able to lean on our technology um, more than we ever have. So thank goodness we've had a working app for um, years and, and have had the ability to do click and collect for years. Um, and so that, that sort of uh, method of taking orders and serving customers is, is well ingrained in, in our customer base. So, we, you know, I think lots more people will be doing click and collect. Um, we're looking at um, office drop points as well to um, mean that customers don't actually need to leave their office to, to grab a... Sorry, sorry. It's all right. We're nearly done. <laughs> uh, the, uh, customers won't leave their office to, to get a frisker lunch. We'll be able to deliver to them. Um, so we're thinking about all sorts of ways that we can keep teams safe, customers safe, and crucially, customers fed and happy. Amazing. Is that an, that app something you built yourself or is that based on a platform? Yeah, no, we work with a company called uh, Five Loyalty. Um, we've been working with them for, for years, actually, and they offer uh, a loyalty app, click and collect platform, and they're working on all sorts of uh, neat stuff. Um, also a delivery function as well. So Frisker at Home will hopefully be launching on our app in the next uh, couple of weeks. So, yeah, that, that technology, it wasn't... Uh, launched with a pandemic in mind but absolutely you know that those the features of the app are, are going to be useful um for our customers when we reopen for sure yeah definitely definitely feels like that's going to be a growth area i think isn't it we're, we're building the same for our takeaway on the seafront we did actually open about 10 days ago once once boris said you could sit in the sun mm -hmm. uh we've opened our, our takeaway which is right on the beachfront uh, talking about queues you're right quite often it's sort of you know 50 60 meter queue but not actually with that many people in it we're lucky that we're on a promenade and not going past sort of seven or eight other shops because i can see how your neighbors would get a bit upset yeah. if you were blocking their doorway but yeah if we're a test case people are definitely willing to queue at the moment but i guess there's a limited supply but demand is still there but it's um it's been interesting but yeah we're looking at building some tech as well to uh, to help out so look thank you for the update and, and, and what you've been doing uh, where should people go if they want to follow your journey and your story or try frisker at home where's the best place for people to head Griff? um so we've we've got an instagram uh, at frisker food um, and then if uh, you've got listeners that are tuning in in Bristol, at the moment we are only delivering in Bristol. Uh, we hope to be able to launch a, a national uh, mail delivery of Frisker at home in the next few months. But right now it's 
at home.friskafood.com. Um, that's at, I'm just typing it as we go to make sure it's the right address. There it is, at home.friskafood.com. And uh, I will personally deliver. I was going to say, you, you personally deliver it. You make it, I you make, deliver yeah, it. I make it, make it, I make it with Charles. I'm his number two, um, for better or worse. And then, uh, yeah, I head out in the van and deliver it myself. So, uh, yeah, it'll be great if you can uh, see some of your listeners uh, placing an order. Definitely. If I was in Bristol, Griff, I would order. I wouldn't mind what I ate. Just the thought of you rocking up on my doorstep with a with a mask, but still a smiley, happy, uh, excited uh, <laughs> demeanor and aura would be enough for me. Um, is there any other burning or pressing issues in in your uh, in your headspace, Griff, that you feel that we should cover uh, before we head? No, off? I think I think we've covered most things there, Mark. And I guess yeah, the future is uncertain, but all you can do is. Uh, move forward with with a sense of optimism uh and and remember that the sort of you know the mission the why you do it hasn't changed uh we we all do it to to serve lovely food to make lovely coffees and ultimately to make people feel good in that communal experience and uh we're all looking forward for that to to come back again so uh yeah keep keeping hold of that vision and that mission is, is is really important Perfect. That is a nice close. Thank you so much, Griff, for your time. I'm sure we'll catch up again. Uh, but yeah, best best of luck. I hope it goes well. Hope you navigate through. And uh, yeah, we'll catch up on the other side. Thanks so much, Mark. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed that chat. And if you did, please do me a very quick favour. It takes just a few seconds for you, but it really, really helps me out. Pick up your phone or scroll down on whatever device you are currently listening on and find the review section for the podcast on your player of choice. At the very least, hit that five-star and subscribe button for me, and even better, leave a few words so that I know you are listening and it encourages other people to do the same. It's super quick for you and appreciated so much by me, and it helps those bonkers algorithm bots get this podcast heard. I will be out with another episode in just a few days' time, and I'm currently releasing a show on a Tuesday and a Saturday because there is just so much to talk about. Okay, thanks again, and bye for now.